History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 54th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And Denise, I feel like we should be doing some disco dancing because 54 makes me think of Studio 54. Okay, well, I'm glad you're dancing and not doing other things. That's a good thing. (laughs) Or we could say, Car 54, where are you? Oh, there's a reason I heart you, baby. (laughs) All right. Well, on this show, we are featuring the Buxton Inn. Thank you to our listener, Laura, for suggesting this location to us. It's a really cool place. It is very cool. Like most of the old places we cover, when they are renovated, they just look really, really neat. But before we get into talking about that, I want to point everybody in the direction of our website. That's historygoesbump.com. It's got everything you could want to know about the show, where to find us on social media, where to tune into the show, how you can support the show. Our archives are up there. And you can also sign up for the newsletter. And Denise, if people want to give us some feedback, suggest some future locations, Where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And speaking of the website, we did get a comment over there from Michelle. Thank you so much, Michelle. She said, awesome content on your podcast. I learned of it from the Big Seance podcast, and I'm now a huge fan. Keep up the good work. Yes, thank you very much, um, Michelle. And thank you to Patrick over the Big Seance podcast. Speaking of whom, he will be joining us in not the next show, but probably the following show. We're going to talk about the Myrtle Plantation in New Orleans. So we're going to have Patrick, who's host of the Big Sands podcast, joining us for that. We did have three people join us over at the Spectacular Crew group page, Denise. That is awesome. We always love new people joining us over there. So we want to welcome them. And Michelle, who left this comment, became a member of the Spectacular Crew. So welcome, Michelle. It's good to have you. We also had Betsy join us. Hey, Betsy. We're glad to have you on board as well. And Alicia. And Alicia, welcome. And Alicia told me that she lives about 30 minutes from where our uh, sister Christy lives. Oh, my gosh. So too bad she hadn't joined up sooner. We could have met up. No kidding. We would have been a pretty quick trip across the field somewhere. She lives in a small town, too. Oh, I'm so shocked. (laughs) Do they have anything big in Iowa? I mean, I guess they have a couple places, but even the big city, we were like, huh? And one last little item of business. You know, we're always asking you guys to help us out with supporting the show. We are a fully listener-supported show. You're not going to hear ads on this show or sponsorships. And Denise, we had a listener pledge a recurring monthly donation to us this month. That is so awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So we'd like to thank Rachel for that. Yes, thank you, Rachel. We appreciate it. So right now, Denise, we have Rachel, Levi, and Dan, who are giving us monthly donations. And we are just $3 short each month of having 
where we park the podcast and our website paid for each month. That is such great news because, again, this is listener supported. So we know that we're on the right track if our listeners want to keep this going. So thank you so much. Exactly. So three more dollars gets us to where the show is actually paying for itself. If we get up to the $50 a month level, then we're going to be able to expand and have more shows because we'll be able to purchase more storage space. And that's going to be a great thing as well, I believe, because most people are saying they want more. Of course, then you have to put up with us more, but you know. The other really cool thing that happened this month is occasionally we have people who give us a one-time donation, and we got a very generous one this month, which put the donations over the $100 level for the month. So do you know what that means, Denise? That means we're having a contest. That is right. So every time our donations go over the amount of $100 a month, we have a contest. So what we are doing for this contest is we will draw one name. The deadline is July 20th, 2015. So if you're listening in 2050, tough luck. You'll have to get another contest that we're doing there when we're going to sound a little older. <laughs> Will we still be alive? Maybe. Yeah. What, what is this? 2015? Yeah, yeah, I guess we could 35 be. 35 years? I'm planning on still kicking at 85, 86, 7. <laughs> now, whoops, we almost lost power. <laughs> we might have to be recording some of this later if we lose it. The reason why I mentioned the year 2050, Denise, is because that year has some significance with the novel that I just published this week. So that is a lifelong dream. It's the first in what I think is going to be a trilogy. If you guys want to check that out, you can go to my other website, which is Dianeverse. That's D-I-A-N-V-E-R-S-E dot com. And there is a tab there that says The Shattering. That's where you can pre-order an autographed copy of the paperback. Or if you go over to Amazon and you search The Lewis Chronicles Book 1, The Shattering, you can order it on Kindle right now. And if you are listening in the year 2050, Diane Student is going to be a household name because she'll have written hundreds of books by then. Well, I'm glad you have such faith in me. <laughs> you betcha. But the reason why I'm talking about that is not just to like sound like I'm bragging on myself, but our prize for this contest is you will receive an autographed copy of that novel and you're going to get a logo t-shirt in your choice of size and color. Now, here's Am how... Am I eligible to, to be in this contest? No. Anyhow, <laughs> there are three ways that you can enter the contest because we need to know who you are. We, we're not psychic here, so we can't just have you do like the mind meld thing and tell us your name. So either you need to join the Spooktacular crew over at Facebook. If you already are a member of the Spooktacular crew, you're already entered into the contest. The second thing you can do is sign up for the newsletter at the website website, historygoesbump.com. If you've already signed up for the newsletter, you were already entered into the contest. The third way you can do it is send us an email at historygoesbump at gmail.com. Let us know your name. And then of course, we'll have your email there as well. So those are the three ways you can enter. If you have done all three of those, guess what? You get three entries. That is correct. So do that before July 20th, 2015, and you will be eligible for the drawing. One person will win a History Goes Bump logo t-shirt and an autographed copy of The Shattering. That is very cool, and I wish I could play. <laughs> All right, let's head on over to the Buxton Inn, Denise. That sounds good, Diane. <laughs> if you would 
you'd like to support the show, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash history goes bump. Or perhaps you just want to make a one-time donation. Click the donate button on our website at historygoesbump.com. In ancient Egypt, a large temple was built to the jackal-headed god named Anubis. Anubis was associated with the afterlife, and because he had the head of a dog, a burial chamber was built next to his temple that has become known as the Canine Catacomb. The catacomb once held the bodies of 8 million dogs and puppies. The fossil of an ancient sea creature millions of years old was embedded in the ceiling of the catacomb. The dogs were not just buried, they had undergone the mummification process. Archaeologists believe that the canine catacomb was the work of an animal cult. That cult held much significance in the Egyptian economy. Dogs were not the only animals mummified in reverence of the gods of Egypt. Other catacombs have contained the mummified remains of baboons, ibis, hawks, jackals, foxes, cats, mongooses, and bulls. It is believed that young dogs were merely bred for sacrifice and mummification. These dogs were not killed by brutal force, but by starvation and dehydration. Aidan Dotson, a senior research fellow in archaeology at the University of Bristol in the United Kingdom, said of the animal cults of ancient Egypt, quote, there's probably a vast amount of trade coming in, not only for producing the animal mummies, but people wanting food, lodging, and drinks. It's probably an ancestor of a mass tourism industry, end quote. The idea that mummifying animals was once a major part of tourism certainly is odd. Turn out the lights. The party's just getting started. This Day in History Well, of course, on this day, July 4th, in 1776, the United States of America declared her independence from Great Britain. Independence Day did not become an official holiday until 1870, but the history of the day is a vital part of the American experience. Beginning in June of 1776, representatives from the 13 colonies decided it was time to break free from Great Britain. The American Revolution was already underway. Thomas Jefferson was assigned the task of drafting a document that would state America's intention to become independent. Colonists were angry over taxation without representation, and they no longer wanted to be under a monarchy. The Continental Congress voted on July 2nd in favor of independence, and two days later they adopted the document Jefferson wrote that we know today as the Declaration of Independence. The most well-known line from the Declaration is, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Such sentiments resonate with all people, regardless of country. Happy Fourth, everyone. History Goes Bump Podcast. 
The Buxton Inn is the state of Ohio's oldest continuously operating inn that has stayed in the same location and the same building. Since 1812, it has offered travelers a comfortable place to stay. Perhaps the inn is too comfortable. Based on the experiences of patrons and employees, it would seem that the inn is so inviting, many spirits have decided to stay here in the afterlife. Staying at the inn is like taking a step back in history. Join us as we step back and investigate the history and hauntings of this grand old inn. The village of Granville is a New England-style community found in the state of Ohio. Originally, the area was settled by mound builders, and the evidence of this can be found in the various mounds located near Granville. Alligator Mound is one example. The Wyandotte tribe settled the area until white settlers moved onto the land. After the Revolutionary War, the U.S. government surveyed the future home of Granville and laid aside many units for those who served during the war. Welsh immigrants arrived in the early 1800s and bought units of land chasing off squatters that had taken up residence. The first of these was Sampson Davis, a Welshman from Philadelphia, and within a few years, the population of Welsh immigrants grew. Many of the roads in Granville have Welsh names due to these earlier settlers. I bet Freya likes that. Absolutely, I bet you she does. The Welsh were joined by New Englanders. Many of them arrived from Granville, Massachusetts, and that is how Granville Village got its name. The New Englanders joined forces and formed the Licking Company and used that to purchase thousands of acres of land. They masterminded a community before they ventured to Ohio, and when they arrived, they quickly built a town square with churches on the corners, a sawmill, a corn mill, a school, library, and homes. Some of the original structures still survive today, and one of those buildings is the Buxton Inn. Orrin Granger was one of the New Englanders that traveled from Granville, Massachusetts. He had been born in Massachusetts in 1788. He bought a unit of land and built a tavern on the site in 1812. He named it simply The Tavern. The tavern offered more than just rooms. The inn held the first post office for Granville. It was also a stop on the stagecoach line that ran from Columbus to Newark. The stagecoach drivers would cook their meals in the stone fireplace located in the basement of the inn. After eating, they would curl up on pallets of straw that were located in the basement as well. Oren was friends with General William H. Harrison, and he stayed at the inn before he became president. Harrison rode his horse into the Buxton's ballroom on one occasion even. Oren was not the innkeeper for very long as he died in 1821. He was only 32 years old at the time. And Denise, I tried to look up to see uh, what, what he died from because, you know, 32, I know back then it's people didn't live very long, but that seems a bit young. So I'm not yeah. exactly sure what, what he died from. Yeah, because that is young. I just was kind of giggling that the tavern was also the post office. <laughs> hey, we can go get drunk and then send some mail off. <laughs> Let's go do some shots and mail a letter to Grandma. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. The inn changed hands several times right after Orrin's death. An east wing was added in 1829, and in 1851, a west wing was built. This gave the inn a horseshoe shape with a cord in the middle. James W. Dilley bought the tavern in 1858 and renamed it the Dilley House. In 1865, Dilley sold the inn to Major Horton Buxton, who again renamed the inn to the Buxton Inn, and it has kept that name ever since. Major Buxton and his wife really brought the inn to life and were known for warm hospitality. The inn gained a reputation as a good place to eat. Many Denison College students took up residence in the hotel while they were at school because it was just an inviting place. Ethel Houston Bonnie Bunnell had been an opera singer. 
and when she retired, she took ownership of the Buxton Inn in 1934. Bonnie bought a cat and named it Major Buxton after the previous owner. The cat was beloved by guests. Bonnie ran the place until her death in 1960. A woman named Nell Scholler had assisted Bonnie in running the inn, and she continued on after Bonnie's death. By 1970, the inn was beginning to fall into disrepair. Discussions began that the building should be raised and replaced with, what do you think, Denise? A parking lot. Of course, they always want to replace these beautiful buildings with a parking lot. In 1972, Orville and Audrey Orr convinced Nell Scholler to sell them the inn. She resisted until the Orrs detailed their plans to restore the structure. And restore the building they did. The Orrs also bought adjacent historic buildings and incorporated them into the property. The Buxton Inn now has four buildings, seven dining rooms, and beautiful gardens with several fountains. The Orrs sold the property in 2014 to a partnership group led by Robert Schilling, a preservationist. Several other professionals in Granville are part of the partnership, and they are committed to the upkeep and preservation of the inn. The Buxton Inn is host to more than just the living. Several ghosts have decided to make this their home in the afterlife. Disembodied footsteps, doors opening and closing on their own, full-bodied apparitions, and whispered names are all experiences reported at the end. A ghost cat has even taken up residence. By most accounts, the ghosts at the inn are friendly. The previous owners just cannot let the place go. Orrin Granger, who built the inn, is still here. His spirit started making the rounds in the 1920s with several sightings. One of these sightings was reported by Fred Sweet in 1920. His mother was the owner of the inn at the time. Fred got those late-night munchies like so many of us do, and he went to the kitchen seeking a snack. He was shocked to find a transparent figure eating the last piece of pie. He sat down with the figure at the table after his shock dissipated and had a conversation. Now, most people would call this claim outlandish, except for that Fred knew nothing about the inn, especially about its early years of operation. When he told everyone about the ghost, he also shared information he could not possibly have known about the inn. He also told his mother that Orrin was pleased with the way that she was running the place. Now, Denise, when I hear these stories about transparent figures that are eating, I often wonder, first of all, how are they going to eat pie? Exactly. And then can you see like the partially digested pie sitting halfway in the air? (laughs) Really? (laughs) These are things I wonder. And we're trying to convince people that they should be buying your book, and they're going to go, that girl's nuts. <laughs> just, <laughs> just kidding. And frankly, if I see a transparent figure, I'm not sitting down and talking to it. I'm out the door. Exactly. I'd be getting my aerobics in. Major Horton Buxton has been seen as a full-bodied apparition in many locations around the inn, and Bonnie Bunnell has been seen and felt inside the room where she died, room number nine. This is one of the most haunted rooms in the inn, along with room number seven. But they're not the most haunted in the world? No, just (laughs) in the inn. Oh, well, this is good. Her full-body apparition is seen wearing her favorite color, blue. People who see her spirit refer to her as... The blue lady? Or the lady in blue. So here's our lady in white, only she decided to change it up a bit. Exactly. And so, and then we've had the lady in lavender. Yeah, the lavender lady. Yep. Yep. That would be me. The lavender lady. No, Denise, you would be the lady in tie-dye. Oh my gosh, that would be awesome. I would love to be the tie-dye lady. The lady in tie-dye. Hippie. 
Peace. Workers who were renovating in the 1970s saw a ghost in blue and refused to work at the inn after dark. Bonnie likes to open windows and move items. Her cat also haunts the inn. Many people claim to have seen or felt a ghost cat, and that's what we'd mentioned a little bit earlier. So I wonder, Diane, would you be allergic to a ghost cat? That's a good question. I'm thinking, you know, they probably don't shed, so maybe not. Oh, awesome. Then I can get a ghost kitty. No. Why not? Aren't you the one who always says, don't tempt the spirits? But those are only human spirits. So animal spirits are okay? Most definitely. Uh Uh-huh. Well, I've heard some pretty scary stories involving animal spirits. Tiana? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, our dog is one of them, although she's not a spirit yet. Oh, for a long, long time, 50 years. The Ohio ghost hunters decided to check out the place and booked rooms 7 and 9. Here are their experiences as reported on their website. Quote, after being shown to our rooms, we were told if we wanted to see some photos of ghosts to visit the front desk. Someone had taken a photo of Bonnie Burnell's ghost. When we got to the desk and the lady showed us the photo, she told us that although others claimed to see a ghost in the photo, she could not see it. We agreed we could not see it either. Then when we were shown a photo of the Buxton Inn ghost cat, the photo was taken down in the tavern and it showed the cat's head, which appeared to be hovering over a little girl. It looked like a blemish in the stone wall of the tavern to us. Upon inspection of the area, stones had some blemishes that resembled a cat's head, but that is all it was, a flaw in the stone, not a ghost cat. When we made reservations, we informed them that we were coming for a ghost investigation. We were told that we would have full access to the basement and other areas. Since it was still early when we arrived, the inn was really busy, so we decided to wait until the restaurant and tavern closed at midnight to do our investigating. We couldn't do a serious investigation with customers coming and going. About 1230, we saw that most of the lights were out and all seemed quiet, so we gathered our equipment and headed for the main part of the inn. The rooms are separate from this part of the inn. We soon discovered we were locked out. It was locked up tight. When we were told we would have full access, we were not told that it was only until midnight. We called the desk and were told that after midnight, the doors are locked and no one was allowed to enter the inn. We were greatly disappointed. We only had access to our room, so that is where we had to stay. When you enter room number nine, you enter a small room that opens into a larger room. While sitting in the larger room, we heard what sounded like the outside doorknob turning, but when we checked, it was always locked and no one was outside. The sound never happened when one of us was in the smaller room where the door was located. Several times we heard what sounded like someone walking outside the door, but again, no one was there. We were the only occupants on the entire wing that night. We heard many sounds we couldn't find an explanation for, but we didn't capture any EVPs and we didn't see any ghosts, cat ghosts or shadowy figures. We did capture something on video. As I was sitting in a chair in the corner of the room, I saw something through the viewfinder coming towards me. I told the others what I just saw. It appeared to come out of the mirror. If it was a piece of dust, it was huge. Some of us made the drive home that night, and others stayed to sleep at the Buxton Inn. One of our members said that she was awakened by something touching her. Perhaps it was one of the Buxton Inn ghosts, end quote. So some of these paranormal investigators picked up and left in the middle of the night. Yeah, but they said, oh, it didn't seem like anything was there. So then why would you leave? Uh, Maybe they were bored. Now, I went over to our handy-dandy trip advisor, which lets us know if places are worth staying at or not. 
And occasionally I find some little gems over there about paranormal experiences. And Denise, would you believe I found three of them in the case of the Buxton Inn? That is very cool. And thank you, TripAdvisor. (laughs) Jennifer reported, quote, we did have experiences in both rooms seven and nine. My sister had something jump on her foot in the bed. We suspect it may have been the reported ghost cat. We heard several footsteps in the middle of the night, and something held my friend down to the bed for like 30 seconds. It really freaked her out. In the other room, number nine, one of the ladies was wearing a breathing mask for her sleep apnea and heard giggles right next to her, and then something hit the mask while on her face. End quote. Denise? Yes? You know, I can be a little bit of a prankster, and if I was a ghost and I was prankstering somebody wearing a CPAP mask, do those things, like, can you snap them on people's faces? Diane. <laughs> Forget the giggling and just hitting the mask. I'd be like, what? <laughs> Great, she's going to do bodily injury to the people she haunts. <laughs> if you end up going first, please don't be mean to me. Okay, I won't. All right. Carrie reported... Quote, we did encounter weird things. One of us felt shoving on his shoulder, and one of us was literally pushed out of the bed during sleep and fell on the floor. No lie, it happened, end quote. And Gretchen reports, as I walked through the end of the dining area, I started coughing, can't explain it, but felt like there were hands around my throat and I was being choked. Same thing happened to my husband. The first night in our room, I felt a sensation of fingers lightly touching my arms. What does that experience remind you of? Of the Ripley's Museum up in St. Augustine. That's right. We had that toddler who was coughing, and it was in a room that people usually get choked by the ghost in that room. Right. That's the one that they think the vortex is on. Yeah, that evil guy. Ew. The Buxton Inn has stood for over 200 years. Thousands of people have stayed in the rooms. Could it be possible that some have stayed in the afterlife? Are those footsteps in the hall coming from the ghostly feet of a former owner making the rounds? Is the Buxton Inn haunted? That is for you to decide. Sounds like a really cute village to go visit in Ohio. And I would love to see the inn. Absolutely. So we'll just have to make it a point on our way up to see Christine Rich again. Now, I will say, based on a lot of the stuff that I did see at TripAdvisor... The restoration is still ongoing and still needs to be done in quite a few of the rooms, kind of threadbare rug and stuff like that. So I don't know if it's necessarily the nicest place to stay, but it looks really cool on the outside. Well, I didn't say I wanted to sleep there. I just said I wanted to go see it. Oh, you don't want to go and stay in room number nine? Dang it. No, I don't want to be held down in my bed. That would freak me out. (laughs) I agree. Our next show is brought to us by another listener, Denise. We're going to do the old Charleston jail. I love doing jails. Yeah, and Jesse suggested that one to us. So we're going to be bringing that one to you guys on the next show. We want to thank you for joining us on this one. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com.